The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not representative of Sandals Church, the Southern Baptist Convention, or any of our parents. If any of these views make you think about not going to church, loving Jesus, or giving to Sandals Church, let's just turn this off now. I'm Pastor Matt Brown, and I approve this message. Well, hey, everybody, prepare to be offended. It's time for a special bonus episode of The Debrief from your friends here at Sandals Church, where today we will be bringing real answers from Pastor Matt Brown to your tough questions about politics and voting. I am your friendly pal, Justin Pardee, sitting here with my good old Debrief friends. Yeah, I'm Stephanie Keene. Glad and to be here. Uh, and I'm PMB. All right, holding it down. All right, Pastor Matt, we've got a lot of questions that have come in about politics and voting, and um, we're going to jump right into those in a second. Um, here's a couple of things for those of you guys that are listening. Man, thank you so much for sending in all of your questions. We got a whole bunch of them, and they were awesome. And we basically did our best to compile as many of them as possible, especially ones that were similar to one another, and kind of bring them all together. So our hope is that every single one of you who wrote in a question uh, for the most part, we think we're touching on almost all those topics. So if we missed yours, we're so sorry, but we did the best that we could in also our attempts to not make this a four hour long episode. So uh, we're excited about that. Before we jump into the questions, Pastor Matt, uh, let's go for maybe a, a state of the union. You got any opening thoughts before we jump into these questions? Uh, just that I'm nervous. <laughs> You're nervous. So are we do. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a great State of the Union speech? Yeah. I am more scared to death now than when I ran. <laughs> or, or how about like the... Yeah. Yeah, just, the came out of a, just came out of an informational room with all of our top generals. We're all going to die. Okay. My fellow Americans, I'm a little scared. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I'm not. I'm. Let's jump right into questions. This is this is awesome. All right, we've broken these up into a couple of different sections. The first one is just on some big ideas in relations to Christians and voting. So this first question comes from Devin, who asks: If voting is a right, does that mean that we should always exercise that right? Since we should not exercise our right to free speech if it is hurtful, or our right to bear arms if we are not properly trained to handle a firearm, should we be viewing voting in the same way? Yeah, I think that's actually a great way of looking at it. Um, you know, we have the privilege of living in a country where we get to exercise our right uh, to vote for the candidate of our choosing, who we believe best represents our views, our desires, and our hopes and dreams for the country. And we have the right to not exercise that, you know. Um, that's the great thing about this country is we're not mandated to do it. Um, and I don't think the founding fathers wanted to force people to vote, but to give them the privilege of voting. And it is a privilege and it's an honor to participate uh, in a government process that elects our officials. So I think it's a great way of phrasing that. That's an amazing first question. Mm -hmm. Our next question comes from Tyler and he simply asked, is it a sin to not vote? Yeah, I man, I've heard pastors say that it is. I absolutely disagree with that. Um, again, we live in a democracy. You are free to choose to participate in voting, and you are free to choose not to participate in voting. It is not a sin. Um, you know, one of the things that bothers me so much about this whole process is trying to force and coerce people into voting. Um, listen, you know, um, if you are checked out, don't care, oblivious, you know, you know, uninformed, I think it's actually better that you don't vote. I mean, my prayer and my desire is that people who care about the process are engaged, have thought about it, uh, have wrestled through the issues, uh, have wrestled with who the candidates are and what they've said. My prayer is that that's the people that would vote. You mm -hmm. know, I, I don't want to be led by 
um, you know, just popularity or, you know, a mob decision, but people that have informed themselves that take the, um, um, you know, the, the role seriously, um, you know, it's just like if I was, you know, in a courtroom, I don't want jurors that are there because they've been forced to be there. I want jurors who actually take the process seriously because the outcome of my life is at stake. And, and I look at voters as the same way I do as jurors. I want people who are reasonable, who think through the issues and vote their conscience. And that's mm -hmm. what I want. And so I think that's the beauty of our country is that the people who want to participate do and those who don't, don't. And so, you know, I mean, certainly Christians can be passionate about you voting, but to say it's a sin if you don't vote, I think that's ridiculous. And uh, it is not a sin. We are not mandated um, to vote uh, in this process by God, but we are uh, enabled certainly to participate in the process because of our Constitution, and that's a beautiful thing, and a right that you can exercise and a right that you can choose not to exercise. And so um, that's the offensive answer number one. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so this next one comes from Alan, who says, I read a book a few years ago that made a case for Christian anarchy, which means that we don't necessarily have a need for government except to obey God's law as Christians. So what is Sandals Church's view on how involved Christians should be in political manners? Yeah, that's a weird book. Mm-hmm that Christians want to live in anarchy, I can guarantee you, we do not want to live in anarchy. That is a very, very dangerous place. Um, I mean, look around the world where you have anarchy, countries like Somalia, part of portions of Afghanistan. Yeah. Not good. Not good for us as Christians. And uh, the truth is, the Bible says that God has put government officials in power to protect us from evil. That's what Romans says. Um, that is the role of government, that the Apostle Paul, when writing to Romans and to all of the churches in the Roman province said we need to pray for these people and lift up these people because they provide protection and they are God's hand at dealing with evil. So anarchy is there is no rule, there is no government, and so um, then we would be forced to defend ourselves, we would be forced to raise up our own army, have our own police, and I think that's a really, really dangerous thing. And the church, historically, not been a good thing when we have to do that. And so I'm grateful for our military that protects us, our government officials that oversee us and run the laws, and our police officers that protect us. And certainly you can be a Christian and do those things. I just don't think it's the church's role to operate the military, to operate those mm -hmm. things. Because like I said, historically, when we've done those things, we end up killing people in the name of Christ, and that is not a good thing. So I don't agree at all with that book. Certainly I haven't read it. I never heard of it, but A Christian Case for Anarchy is bizarre to me and seems like that is a warped view of reality and of the Bible. So what was his question? So what is Sandals Church's view on how involved Christians should be in the political process? I think that you should be as involved as they want to be. Um, you know, we all live busy lives, and some of us are more engaged than others. I mean, I was a political science major, so uh, politics has always been something that I'm very, very interested in. It was something I considered before God called me to ministry, going into politics and participating in that. I think it's a noble profession. I think it's a necessary profession. And I think Christians should participate on a level uh, but they should not so engage in the process that they take their attention away from the church and its mission and its purpose. And that's what breaks my heart, is Jesus Christ didn't call us to take over the world politically. That's actually Islam. That's a different religion mm -hmm. uh, with a different agenda. Mm -hmm. And uh, Islam has spread throughout the world by conquering people militarily and overcoming them politically. The church operated at its best when we were not in charge politically, and we didn't have a military. Um, we, we simply met people's needs, preached the gospel, and tried to change the world, and actually things got a little muddy uh, when Christianity became the official religion of Rome. That's right. when things got a little bizarre. So I would say engage in the process, but understand God's in control. We're going to be okay, um, but we need to you know, pray for these leaders, uh, you know, vote our consciences, and if we feel led, 
you know, get involved and maybe run. You know, one of uh, my good friends, Rob, uh, that goes to our church was the mayor of Hemet. I think he did a great job. It's a difficult job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't uh, really well received because he inherited a really, really difficult situation. And uh, even some Christians didn't like him. And mm-hmm. I know he, he tried his very best. Uh, the political job's a tough job. No matter what you do, you're going to tick off about 50% of the people. So, yeah. yeah. So, kind of to piggyback on that, Josh has a question and asks Is there any advice you could pass along to someone who is currently a politician or maybe aspiring to be a politician? about how to have a successful career in politics while not losing your integrity and still staying right with God. Yeah. I I don't know that you can maintain your integrity entirely in, in the realm of politics. I mean, the reality is you don't get anywhere without backroom deals. That's just the reality. Politics is a cesspool. I wish it wasn't, but it is. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage in it. You just need to know if you jump into a cesspool, you're going to get dirty. You're going to get filthy. That's going to happen. I mean, we've already seen things like this election cycle, you know, you had Senator Ted Cruz, who I really like on a lot of issues, say that he would no way absolutely endorse Donald Trump. Well, guess what happened? Right. Now he's making he, phone calls. Yeah. He had to do that because of the political pressure that I believe caused him to violate his conscience. And so he had to do that. And so he's been called on the mat by a lot of people that um, I think they're called the never Trumpers. I, yeah, I'm not really yeah. involved in that thing. But, you know, and uh, and again, and I'm not saying if you're for Trump, I'm not saying that you should be a never Trumper. I'm just saying that's a case right there where we saw somebody who said, I would not, I will not, and then he did because he had to because of political pressure. And and that's the thing. I mean, you see it on the left with Bernie Sanders, who said very clearly that I don't think Hillary is the right person for the job, da-da-da-da. Um, and then what is he doing? You know, um, mm-hmm. we see that with, you know, Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton. They were massive adversaries in 2008, did not like each other whatsoever. And now, you know, she is one of Hillary's most staunch and, and vocal supporters. And so, um, and that's not to say that people's feelings don't change and seasons don't change, but in the political arena, man, you are constantly making deals. And I've experienced this at Sandals Church. You know, anytime, uh, because now Sandals Church is the second largest church in the city of Riverside, and we represent about 10,000 residents mm-hmm. um, who come on a semi-regular basis to our church, that's a large, a substantial group. And so politicians reach out, you know, try to use me, try to get background favors, try to, you know, and I, I just don't go for it because I'm not running for election and I don't have to appease, you know, all of these people. Um, but it's a shady, shady business and even good people uh, struggle and um, and everybody has to compromise a little bit or, or you're never going to get anywhere. I mean, that's just the reality. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think Jesus would ever make it through the political process. I mean, he would be eliminated really quickly uh, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. So, um you know, and that's why, praise Jesus, can I say that? Praise Jesus, when we're talking about Jesus, praise God. Praise we're him. talking about Jesus, he's not running for election when he comes back. He is in charge. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not running on popular platform, he's running on his platform. And uh, and he's told us, you can be a part of my kingdom, take it or leave it. And that's what he said, and he's not willing to change. And so I'm actually grateful for that with him when he comes. So great question. And uh, again, just know, if, if you feel like God is calling you into that arena, it is a it is a difficult, difficult arena. And so the definition of politics is fighting over who gets what, when, where, and how. And that means it's going to be, you know, brutal. Um, you know, there's a reason uh, Caesar was killed by his two best friends, Brutus and Cassius, right? Stabbed him in the back. I mean, that's one of Shakespeare's most, you know, uh, famous lines. Brutus and Cassius, they too were honorable men. What does that mean? Do honorable men stab people in the back? Yeah, mm-hmm. in the realm of politics, they do. Right. So, um, you know, there's there's wisdom in Shakespeare, and there, there's wisdom to understand that, and just know that there is no perfect candidate, and uh, and I think that's important. 
Um, it's, a, it's a difficult world. It's a very, very difficult world to survive in. Great question. But I'll be praying for anybody that wants to enter into that world because we need good people. And I think, um, you know, I think you can be a Christian and be a politician. Just know it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Okay, so there is no denying that this particular election cycle here in the United States has been just really, really ugly. Um, so here's here's a question. How can Christians, or even how should Christians, engage in political discussions and conversations, both face-to-face and uh, especially online and in social media? Yeah, I, I think one of the, the potential downfalls uh, of our country will be the demonization of people on the other side. I mean, one of the tragedies is we have forgotten a healthy uh, love and respect for America and the political process. Uh, This may be the first election cycle where whoever uh, loses does not call the winner to congratulate them. I mean, think about that. So in, you know, 240 plus years, Mm -hmm. every time we've had a loser, they have called the winner to congratulate them. This could be the first time um, that that doesn't happen. And the reason for that is there's been a gradual move in our country of demonizing the opposite side. And so here's what I would tell you is, you know, I have liberal friends that are good people and I have conservative friends that are good people and they passionately disagree. And so here's where I think Christians need to just chill and understand that these people that are running for office, they're not perfect. They have flaws. They are not evil. I I got news for you, my liberal brothers and sisters. Donald Trump is not Hitler. Don't say that. Don't communicate that. It is, first of all, it's, it's really a slap in Hitler's face because it really minimizes what he accomplished in his life because he mm. did some really evil things. And that's what's so so amazing is people on the left villainize those who are on the right. You know, when George Bush was in office just, you know, eight years ago, people hated him. Mm-hmm. Well, then we elected, you know, Barack Obama and people on the right hated him. You know, he's trying to change the country. He's trying to do all this. Look, liberals and conservatives, for the most part, are good people who believe that there are different things that are good for the country. Both groups want what's good for the country. Now, are there fringe people? Certainly. Are there, you know, bizarre cases? Absolutely. But for the most part, they're good people who disagree about what's best for the country. And they're different agendas and they're different approaches to trying to accomplish the same goal, which is what's good. And vice versa, they, they believe that what the other side you know, and they believe is good is bad for the country. And so that's the thing is we just need to understand that it's different approaches to governing America. And so we can't demonize and villainize the opposing side. We can say we disagree. Uh, we can give, uh, you know, indications as to why, but man, you stop this, this business, this destructive business of, um, you know, defaming and tearing down and ripping apart. And, you know, Hillary's the most evil person of all time. I guarantee you she's not. Yeah. I guarantee you she's not. And, and same thing with Donald Trump. He's not the most evil. They're not even close. They're probably not even in the top, you know, 10, 20% of mm-hmm. all time. Um, now, are they flawed? Do they have issues? Are there challenges? Absolutely. But let's start listening to each other and listening to uh, what people believe and why they believe what they believe. And I think that that's great. And we need to articulate our views in a non-emotional way that reminds us as Christians, hey, I love you know, the person on the left and I appreciate them and I want to hear from them and I don't want to understand them. And uh, at the end, you know, we have these elections, we shake hands and we move forward as a country. And if we can't, there's no country. And that's what scares me about this. What scares me is not whether Hillary gets elected or Donald gets elected. It's just the political climate of people and just this belief that if the opposing side wins, it's the end. Mm-hmm. And they both believe that. I mean, liberals believe that about Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and conservatives believe that about Hillary Clinton. And that's 
that's sad. And, and it's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our founding fathers were brilliant and they set up a system with separation of powers. We have the executive branch, which is the presidency, which is getting the most news. We have the legislative branch, which unfortunately it's not getting any news. I, know. I mean, you don't that's hear true. hardly anything about senators and congressmen running. I mean, it's almost like they don't exist. It's like this yeah. Hillary, and that's, that's an incredibly powerful branch of oh, government yeah. and nobody's talking about it. And then of course there's a judicial branch which everybody's talking about because you know, uh, Hillary or Donald will um, select one, maybe two, perhaps three members of the Supreme Court. Yeah. But here's what I want to tell people is they can only do that with the approval of a certain percentage of the Senate. So the legislative branch still matters. And, you know, no matter who gets elected, Hillary or Donald, they're not going to be able to just pick whoever they want because it has to get congressional approval. And, and there, I believe there's a certain percentage of the Senate and somebody can look that up, but it's it's not just like one or two senators. It, it, it's 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 a pretty large chunk of senators have to approve the candidate. And there's hearings and there's questionings and many people haven't you know experienced that in their lifetime because you're younger and you're voting, but it's a pretty trying process. And these candidates for the Supreme Court are exposed and they're run through the gauntlet in a very similar fashion as to what these candidates are going through. I mean, if you got any any anything at all in your closet, they're going to find it. Yeah, so, coming out. So on the opposite side, maybe how can Christians start leading out and kind of reclaiming civil discourse, maybe starting a conversation from a healthier place rather than just reacting? Yeah, I think that's great. I think part of the problem is we've we've learned civil discourse from Facebook rather than from our faith book. That was good. You see what Ooh. I did there? That was so good. Wow. Yeah, that's tweetable. So, um, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the problem is what we're doing is we're operating like Americans rather than Christians. And so that's the first thing that we need to understand is, is that my citizenship as an American is secondary to my citizenship in heaven and my faith in Christ. And so I need to be civil. And um, you know, arguing doesn't help anybody. All it does is, is tick people off and entrench them into their position. And so what I've learned is, as I share my views, um, and, and I'll tell you this, I've learned this, is, is a lot of my views have changed on things. Things that I thought were absolutely this way, they've shifted um, because our culture is shifting, the world is shifting, um, and, and the world that I live in now is not the world that existed when I went to college 20 years ago. It's a different world. Right, things have totally. changed. And so I've had to reconsider many of my positions on things because the world's different. And so I have to, I have the same faith, I have the same morals, I have the same you know standards, but how do I apply those to a world that's completely different than the world that uh, existed when I... Um, I really solidified a lot of these views. So what I would say is your mandate by God is to love one another and to love your neighbor. That is your mandate. If you can disagree uh, and talk about issues, I think that um, as long as you love your neighbor, you can do that. Here's the other thing is there's huge misinformation on both sides, incredible misinformation. And I think that's the tragedy is um, we need real information and real facts. And a lot of the things I mean, you think about what happened with Obama, with the whole birther issue. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just silly. And some people, I mean, if the only thing you have against this person is you don't think that they're born in the United States, what to me what that's saying is you can't disagree with them based upon principle. And what you need to do is with principle. So stop the personal attacks. It was a waste of time, you know, by the right. I, I think that it, it was ridiculous and it was silly. Um disagree with people based upon real issues with real facts. And just because you read it on the internet doesn't mean that it's true. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there that's just not true. And we, and I've, I've fallen, you know, victim to this and people have fallen victim to this, but again, state your case, why you believe what you believe 
and, and, and let people make up their own minds. I mean, that's the thing about living in a democracy is you don't get to force people to your side. I mean, there's a place for that. It's called Russia. You can move there. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very scary. Uh, where Putin controls the media, he controls everything. And if you disagree with him, all of a sudden you're in a snowy climate if you're alive. And that's not what we want to be in America. So just, again, love people. Um, and again, express your Christian views, not your political views, because I think people will be drawn to Jesus. And by the way, there are people who love Jesus who are Republican, love Jesus who are Democrat, love Jesus who are independents. Um, and that's great. That's great. And, and you know, we, we approach the political arena from different perspectives following the same Christ. And uh, we have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. We have to. Yeah. Seems like one of the problems is that most of us are not really willing to do the work of understanding where people are coming from when their position is... is well, yeah. And here's part of the problem. Look at our political process. It, I mean, if, if we're honest, if all of us are honest, most of us are going to vote when we vote based upon our political party and the name that is under that political party. So all we know about our candidate is their name and their political party. That's all we know. Mm -hmm. That What is so sad about our system is that it's just name recognition, which is, again, why did Donald Trump skyrocket so quickly? Because everybody knew who he was. Mm -hmm. It's name recognition. And the thing that breaks my heart going forward is, are we simply going to elect popular candidates? I mean, one of the reasons that I was not in favor of George, or not George Bush, Jeb Bush, excuse me, was I don't want to live in a society where we, we elect our officials like England does, where you're a part of a family line. It's the same reason I opposed Clinton. I, we've, I feel like we've had enough. We've had enough Bushes. We've had enough Clintons. Surely out of 330 million people, there's somebody else that can run, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, was, that was my feeling from the beginning. But unfortunately, name recognition really has become more important than ideas, strategies, uh, or anything else. And it's turned into a popularity contest. And I think that that is very, very dangerous for the future of our country. But one of the challenges going forward is just the massive amount of things that we vote on. I don't think the founding fathers would have ever understood that we would have to become legal experts on all these issues. And I, I think it, it actually does us a disservice because we're voting on so many things. Really, it forces ignorance. Hmm. You know, I think we need to vote on fewer things, fewer times, and we need to be really informed. And um, it's just impossible. I mean, it's it's really impossible. It's almost a full-time job to understand the issues, to understand the candidates, to understand the propositions. I mean, who has that kind of time? Right. So it, it, it's really, really difficult. So, All right. Well, we are creeping closer to that edge. Tighten up your seatbelts, everyone, because <laughs> it is time to talk about the presidential candidates. This first question comes from uh, two people named Justin and Stephanie. They asked, <laughs> will you tell us who to vote for as our pastor? Yes, no, I will not. Well, well, I right. mean, maybe I'll tell Stephanie, but I won't tell you. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, seriousness, though, can Christians in good conscience come to completely separate conclusions on who they want to be president? Yeah, absolutely, because both can't... Well, uh, there's more than two candidates, right. but well, the two top candidates are flawed. Absolutely. So, here's what I've noticed, is that people, people choose um, different flaws to focus on for their motivation for... The candidate they're voting for, and um, and and here's what's so sad in this whole political cycle is, is I I'm not entirely certain other than I know Trump wants to build a wall. I, I'm not entirely certain what they're for, mm -hmm. because we've spent so much time. I mean, if you look at all the commercials, it's it's vote for me because this person's the devil. Yeah, and that's just sad, man. It's just it's just really really sad that 
you know, you don't want me to vote for you because you have ideas and you have a plan and you're going you're, you're gonna to make these changes and here's how you're going to lead us. And, and, and to me, the world needs a plan. It needs a clear plan about, you know, what do we do? Uh, how do we engage um, with the world militarily? Uh, I think that's a real issue for America. I don't think that's gotten a lot of press. Um, mm-hmm. What are we going to do about the debt? I haven't heard either of them talk about that at all. I don't, you know, it's like $19 trillion. Um, those are big, big issues for us and our kids. And, um, you know, if Sandals Church had any kind of ratio of debt like that, that would be the most important issue facing us. And, oh, and we just totally. haven't found that. But it's really like, you know, vote for me because this person's crazy, liar, criminal, uh, a womanizer, whatever. And rather than here's the things that, that I want to do. So I think Christians come to different conclusions because, right? I mean, if your issue is how a man talks to a woman probably not going to vote for Trump. Like if that's your most important thing, I mean, clearly what he said was disgusting and wrong and, you know, awful. Um, and you're probably going to vote for Hillary. You know, if, you know, you believe in transparency and, um, you know, truth telling, you know, you're probably going to have a hard time voting for Hillary. So it's what, what moral issue do you value the highest? Because both candidates struggle uh, with moral issues. I mean, they just do. Yeah. Uh, I think they both have some leadership qualities and they both have some gifts. So they're not all negative. They have some positives there. But um, people evaluate, you know, some people vote simply based upon uh, abortion. That's their one issue. And that guides everything that they do. And, um, you know, that, that creates problems for us because what if you hire a pro-choice person who's an idiot when it comes to policy or um, you know, mm-hmm. wisdom or leadership or whatever. And so, and that's the issue is, as I think politicians use issues to play all of us. I think, uh, you know, they use abortion, they, they use, you know, gay rights, they use, um, you know, uh, what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. These political issues are utilized to um, use us and, um, and it's really, really sad. So yes, I, I'm talking forever. Christians can come to different conclusions because A, there is no perfect candidate. And um, B, right, we have our own sense of rated morality. And, and Christians just do. Some things are more important on their moral scale than others. And, um, you know, that's, that's the reality. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how people are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we vote for a particular candidate to be president, does that mean we share in complicity with each of the decisions that they make? Oh, absolutely. In office? I mean, that's the nightmare of voting, right? I mean, when you put somebody in office and they screw up, I mean, you, you bear responsibility in that issue. Hmm. Um, and that's been heavy on my heart. Um, you know, I used to be of one political conviction. I'm not going to say what that was, um, but I changed because the person that I voted for, I thought soiled the office, soiled um, um, their reputation and embarrassed me because mm-hmm. I supported that individual and um, it, it really, really bothered me. And I've actually had that um, on the left and the right over my 20 years of um you know, political activism is, I've had people that just, you know, I thought were the right candidates. Uh, I'll give you an example. I think that's less controversial, but I thought Arnold Schwarzenegger was a great idea. I As did. When he ran for when he governor, ran for governor of California, of California I, I think he turned out to, to be a disaster and a mess. And he was somebody I supported, somebody, um, you know, I thought really could move our state in the right direction. And it didn't happen. I mean, it turned out to be, it turned out to be a mess. And, um, you know, I think our state was at a crisis back then when I think our, you know, our, our deficit was about, I don't know, 10% of what it is now. Yeah. I mean, the state's in way worse conditions. Um, and he just turned out to be a really, really poor choice. 
um, and uh, his moral compass was not nearly as solid as what I thought it was. Um, but, uh, you know, so I'll pick on him. You know, the same thing as with Bill Clinton. Um, I, when I was in college, you know, I supported him, and um, what he did in the office with an intern um, I thought was embarrassing and a shame um, at the time, and I thought it was disgusting. And I trusted him. I believed in him. I voted for him, and uh, I had hope in him. And, uh, you know, he lied to the American people right to their face. I mean, I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was bothersome. So I think we do bear responsibility when we support people and we, and we, and we vote for them um, and we put them in office. Who did that? I mean, that's one of the things that we need to own as Americans. Everyone in America thinks Washington's broke, but who puts those people there? We do. So yeah. it's amazing to me that America thinks Washington's broken but nobody thinks, well, maybe America's broken because we keep sending all these people there year after year after year after year, and we bear no responsibility on the people that we've elected to represent us. And we need to hold our um, our politicians accountable, both from the left and the right, to do what they say they're going to do, and ultimately to do what's best for the country. And um, you know, and, and that's tragic. You know, we look at one of the big issues that's facing all of us as Americans is healthcare. You know, uh, Barack Obama has come out and said that. Rates are going to come up. We're going to raise 25% next year for all of us who participate in that. Look, that's not a liberal issue, and that's not a conservative issue. That's an American issue. And liberals and conservatives need to check their egos at the door and do whatever they can to fix that problem. Because as a church, I don't want to have to pay 25% more for all of your guys' health insurance. That that puts enormous pressure on us as a church. And so um, I think Democrats bear more responsibility on that issue because they're the one, it was their idea. But unfortunately... We also live in a culture where politicians can't make mistakes. And I think we need to allow our politicians to make mistakes. And they need to be able to say, okay, you know, because I think we all agree healthcare needed a change. Barack Obama thought that that would help mm-hmm. him fix it. It hasn't worked. It's not better. So let's let's make it work. And that can't be a Republican or a Democratic issue. It's a people issue. People yeah. are suffering because of the, the costs are, are, are spiraling out of control. So let's solve that. And so whether Trump gets elected or Hillary gets elected, they got to do something about healthcare. They, they got to they gotta fix that issue because what's best for us. I don't know how I got on that. Sorry, I started rambling. It works and we like it. Yeah. yeah. So kind of to shift back to talking about some of those hot button issues, Joe had a question. He says, it seems that many Christians are extremely focused on specific issues and policies they use to create a checklist of which candidate aligns most with their values on things like abortion, same-sex rights, legal weed, gun control. So as Christians... What should our biggest motivation for voting be? Should we be looking at topics like that that align with our faith and our morals? Or should we be looking at more what's going to make it easiest to accomplish what we think God wants us to do? Yeah, that is a great question. Thank you, Joe. I, I think going forward from this point forward in, in, in Christian history, the number one issue that you need to be concerned about as a Christian, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, and by the way, I need both of you to be concerned about this issue. Because without putting pressure on Democrats and without putting pressure on Republicans, we are hosed as Christians. Here's the issue, religious freedom. We need to be able to worship God as we see fit. Um, one of my concerns, um, you know, especially for those of you who are Democrats, and there's a lot of Christians who are Democrats, and here's what I would say to you. Your voice needs to be heard. You need to make sure that you maintain a platform. Um, many Democrats don't realize this, but God, faith in God, was taken off the Democratic platform, um, and it was actually tried to put back on, and they were booed when they were voting at, at the Democratic National Convention. They were booed when they tried to put it back on. So here's what I would say to my fellow Christians who are Democrats. Get involved in the Democratic Party. Don't let them 
ignore your faith, ignore your principles, and ignore your values, because I think there are some things that the Democratic Party does that are in line with the teachings of Jesus. So we need Christians involved uh, in that and helping to make sure that they don't forget us as Christians, because my concern is, is that as our country continues to move to the left, that one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to be persecuted for our faith. We're going to lose our tax-exempt status. These things are going to happen. So if you're a Democrat, get involved and make sure they know you're a Christian and that those values need to be included in the Democratic platform. Um, So um, that's what I would say, whether you're on the left or the right. Um, and, And let me say this for those on the right. Clearly, even Republicans have moved dramatically to the left in terms of um who they are, and that's why you see uh, this candidate from Utah running against Donald Trump. He is saying that the Republican Party is moving in a direction that I cannot participate with. And so um, he's got the Irish name. What's his Evan name? Evan McMullen, I think. Evan McMullen. And so he's saying, right, I can, I can no longer go to the left with the Republicans, and so I'm going to do my own thing. And so whether you hate him, love him, whatever, and, and, and the whole Republican Party is ripped over this issue, we need to make sure that Christians are involved in the Republican process, and they make sure that, again, here's the issue. And here's the mistake I think Christians have made in the past is we have tried to force our country to think and act like us. And I think that has been the sin of the religious right. I think the sin of the liberal left is now they're doing the same thing. They are trying to make us all think and believe the same way. And I Mm -hmm. think that's dangerous. And true diversity allows for a difference of opinions. And so as Christians, we need to be the most vocal about diversity. We need to be the most vocal about real tolerance. We need to be the most vocal about, look, we get to worship God as we see fit and teach our children what we believe God has called them to do. And so that's my concern. As our country moves left, some of the beliefs that we have are going to be considered hate speech are going to be considered uh, real, real difficulties. And, and, and that's a concern for me, that as Christians, we need to be able to worship God as we see fit, which right now we can do, but that could be changing in the future. So I think that's the number one issue is religious freedom, uh, which means we need to fight for religious freedom for Muslims. We need to fight religious freedom for Jews. We need to fight for religious you know, freedoms of, of people that we don't agree with because when they lose it, we lose it. Mm-hmm. it go, we all go down together. And, um, and that means we're going to have to work with Jehovah's Witnesses, which some Christians are be like, oh my gosh, or Mormons mm-hmm. or whoever, because we're all in this boat together. And if it sinks and we lose our religious freedom, that's a, tr- that's a tragedy for us. Um, and, is, uh, is that the best way you think for Christians to be most vocal about real tolerance? I, I love what you said there, just about that idea. Is that the, probably the most practical way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, like actively and vocally supporting other people who we don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, so that's one of the scary things, you know, um, that I, one of the transitions that I've seen amongst liberals is they used to be the most vocal about tolerance, and now I've seen this switch where they've become the least tolerant, and I think that's very, very frightening, and they need to get back to their roots, they need to get back to who they were, um, and understanding that true diversity means a difference of opinions, a difference of lifestyles, a difference of raising our children, and um, we can't raise everybody the same. And that means that Christians need to have um, their own freedom to raise their kids the way that they want to raise and to teach their kids about sexuality and gender in a way that we understand it. And I think that that's important. It's not okay for us to force our views on gender and sexuality on America, and it's not it's not fair for America to force their views of gender and sexuality on us. It goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Neither group gets to dominate. We're all a part of um, you know this arena of citizens. They come from various backgrounds, various beliefs, various ideologies, and you know, we're either going to be able to do that together, or we're going to we're going to fracture and split apart. 
you know, a great America's greatest enemy isn't Al Qaeda, it isn't ISIS, it isn't Russia, it isn't China. It's can this grand experiment called democracy, um, you know, where all of these people come together from different races, different backgrounds, different religions, different perspectives, and can we function together in a free society? Uh, historically, it's not worked out real well. I mean, historically, uh, you know, religions fight against each other, races fight against each other, ideologies fight against each other. So America is this grand experiment that has had some some great success for, you know, over 240 years. But if we're going to go forward, we have to have a healthy respect and a real respect for divergent opinions and ideologies and understandings. And, you know, as long as you're not forcing your beliefs on anybody else. Uh, and having said that, right, as Christians, we we clearly invite people to repent of their sins and 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 to place their faith in Jesus and to become a Christian. We we get to do that. That's part of our religious freedom. But we don't get to force people to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't get to make them do that. Now, having said that, they don't get to make us not be Christians. Um, you know, America doesn't have a right to to force me to change my views on abortion. I believe abortion is wrong. I believe it is the taking of an innocent life. Um, I don't get to force that view on everybody else. And mm-hmm. I think the courts have upheld that, and that's what Roe v. versus Wade is all about. The problem is now, you know, the, what Roe v. Wade said is, is Christians can't force their views on abortions on women everywhere, and we can't use the government as the enforcement arm for yeah. that issue. Having said that, now it's not okay for the government to enforce upon us that it's not a sin. It, we, we get to believe that it's a sin. We get to believe that it's wrong. And we don't need to be persecuted or alienated because of our value of the unborn. And I think that that's something that is incredibly important. And it's a right that we have as Americans, to, as American Christians, to hold the life of an unborn child as, as something that's precious. In the same way, you know, um, you know, gay people, now marriage is legal. I, I didn't agree with that process. I didn't agree with... Uh, the changing of the definition, it's legal, um, but they don't get to tell us. So I, I have to submit to that as a part of a democracy and a secular society where there's divergent views, but they have to respect our views that we believe that marriage is something that is spiritual, something that is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman and God. And that's what we believe. And we hold that to be valuable. And that doesn't mean we get to mistreat or be homophobic or or, or put down or alienate or persecute in any way our gay neighbors, we're called to love them, to care for them, to be good neighbors, to participate with them in society. But we don't have, but we don't have to change our views. We don't, we're not hating anything. We love God and we want to live a life that we believe honors God as we understand and we see fit. And so that's the challenge going forward is how do we do this together? And here's the thing that's scary. I don't know that we have the answer. So, um, hmm. you know, I, I feel like you got the left on their hill and the right on their hill. And they're ready to kill each other. And that's not a good thing. Yeah. That is not a good thing. You know, this country has had a civil war and a lot of people died. And it was an ugly, ugly thing. And I think it's been so long since we've seen that kind of death that people have forgotten what that's like. Hmm. You know, I took my daughter this past year um, to Nashville and the last battle, the last major battle in the civil war was fought in uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in a small town called Franklin. And it was one of the bloodiest battles um, the South lost, uh, I want to say 13 generals that day. I think Whoa. it was 13 generals and about 10,000 soldiers in one day. Uh, it was bloody. It was awful. Um, three times as many soldiers died on that battle as D-Day. <laughs> it was, it was that bad. Um, and you know, you just sit there and you sit, you sit in a house with bullet holes and cannonball holes 
and they tell you the story as the family hid in the basement, as this, you know, literally battle is taking place between family members. Yeah. Friends. I mean, you know, and it's it's just tragic, and it was terrible, and it was awful, and it was ugly. And um, my prayer is that as a country, we can go forward, and we can have civil discourse and discussions, and we can disagree, but that we don't fight. Because when that happens, um, you look at Syria. What is Syria? It's a civil war. Aleppo could be San Bernardino. Aleppo could be, you know, Whittier. Mm-hmm. Aleppo could be Newport Beach. It could be, and we think that it can't be, but it could be if we're not careful and we don't value this precious gift of a country that we've been given uh, and we all need to settle down and appreciate, here's the reality. All this stuff that Hillary's griping about, that uh, Donald's griping about, we are so far blessed beyond anybody else in the world. We are so incredibly blessed Mm -hmm. with this country that we believe is messed up. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that it is in many ways, but um, we get to worship, we get to gather, we get to be, um, we, we get to live our lives in freedom. And that's a beautiful, beautiful gift that we could lose in the snap of a finger. And um, that's why the rhetoric needs to come down and we need to love one another. And I think that's where Christians need to, we need to lead in love. That doesn't mean that we compromise our values. I, I am, I man, I not doing that, but we need to lead in love love. And, uh, and I think that the way we do that is we say, I disagree with you, but I love you. Mm-hmm. I disagree with you, but I love you. And, um, you know, that doesn't make me the devil. And some people, you know, you, you Google my name. Some people think I'm the devil because I have some views and, you know, Stephanie would agree to this. I've not always commu- communicated my views. See, she's laughing. I've not always communicated my views in the best way. And I'll tell you why, Stephanie, because we're entering a new world where my views of how I communicate my beliefs have had to evolve. Now, some people just fell out of their chairs because I use the word evolve. My (laughs) theology is not evolving. Mm -hmm. How I communicate my theology is is evolving. Because the days of standing up and screaming, we all need to repent, those days are over. We We have to figure out how to communicate the truth of the gospel and the message of Jesus in a way that it draws people to Christ and, and does not repel them. And again, I don't think we have to compromise the gospel. I don't think we do. Um, but we have to change our rhetoric. We have to change our body posture, our language, our Facebook messages. We have to change that. And, and just because somebody's an idiot on, on, on the internet doesn't mean you need to respond. You know, I made that joke a couple uh, a weeks ago about how Facebook's like, uh, you know, the graffiti on the inside of a toilet mm-hmm. stall. Just because somebody writes something stupid on a, on, on a bathroom stall doesn't mean that it's worthy of your response. And, um, you know, and whenever you're ticked, probably not a good time to respond. You know, take a couple laps, <laughs> take a chill pill, hang out with Stephanie Keene. She'll bring you down, <laughs> right? She'll mellow you out. Oh my goodness. Right? That's what she does. Stephanie Keene is God's spiritual gift of chill pill to me. So she helps me chill. So, yeah. Glad to help out. Okay. We're going to move on to talking about some state and local related topics. But before we do that, it appears to me that you forgot to... Tell us specifically who to vote for as presidential candidate. Was that yeah. intentional? You can, you can whisper it. Was I'm it writing in Matt Brown. Mm, I am not one? writing in Matt Brown. Don't write in Matt Brown. <laughs> I was all, oh God, no, he's not. Yeah, 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 no, no. I am not running. And you're not telling us who to vote for? No. Good. Okay. All right, let's talk and about just some so you know, my kids have asked me the same thing, and I just, this this election has been really, really hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really hard. Oh, that's and, true. Uh, you have two kids who can vote now. 
I do have two kids who can vote and they're looking at me going, what do I do? And, and it's the first, it's the first time, um, in my life where I've been genuinely conflicted about what to do. I think a lot of people always say it's, it's, it's the worst. And, um, I don't think that's ever been true. I think this, I, I've really been disappointed in, um, how Donald has handled himself and how Hillary has handled herself. And so it's, it's made it very, very challenging for me. And, um, I hope, you know, if I've picked on your candidate that that, you know, doesn't make you hate me. And I, I just, I'm just truly conflicted, um, um, about, uh, you know, Donald's approach to the process and Hillary's, you know, history of the process. Both of those things are deeply concerning to me. And, um, you know, I took a heavy look at the libertarian candidate, but the, I think he smoked too much weed. So he concerns me. <laughs> His short-term memory concerns me. So, well, well speaking of weed, I guess. Point, yes. Yeah. So we're gonna get into some of our state and local topics right now. Um, up speaking first, of weed, huh? Okay. Yeah, speaking we of go. weed, we're gonna, we're gonna talk weed now. Yeah. Uh, so, as you know, California has Proposition sixty-four, which is about the legalization of marijuana in our state. Uh, Tyler sent in a question and asked, "Is it wrong for me to vote for the legalization of marijuana? I'm not interested in smoking it myself, but I sh- should I consider the hold it may have on others when I vote?" Yeah, I love that. It's, this question's not from me. It's from my friend. Yeah, my friend wants to. I have this friend who wants to <laughs> smoke a doobie. Listen, man, marijuana is uh, is a difficult, difficult issue. Um, let me just state this. What we have now, I hate. We have this quasi-legal status where literally we have these, these criminally run clinics in every city all over the place that are magnets for corruption. People don't realize this, but you can buy marijuana right now, but it's, it's in this weird state where these individuals are not allowed to use debit cards or credit cards because it's because of a federal law. And so banks don't want them to deposit their money. And so what we've created is a legal underground for the selling of weed. Mm -hmm. That is a bad thing, a bad, bad thing. So here, here's what I would challenge you as Christians. Here's the reality of living in a secular society. We have to quit thinking of legal as moral. Okay. Uh, abortion is legal. I don't believe it's moral. Right. It, I just don't. Uh, gay marriage is legal. For me as a Christian, I, I don't believe that it's moral. And so here's the issue. Do we want to continue to criminalize people who want to smoke weed? Um, now, having said that, here's the problem. In Washington, in Oregon, in Colorado, car accidents are going through the roof because more people are smoking dope. That's the reality. Uh, so one of the negatives is going to be if you make marijuana more accessible, you're going to have, you know, not just DUIs now, but you're going to have, uh, what would it be? Well, maybe it is driving w- under weed UIs. Weed UIs, you know, oh I don't know gosh. what it would be. But, it's still under the influence of yeah. drugs or alcohol. So, so that's going to be one of the challenges. Um, I think the pros for it are, right, they say that, you know, the money is going to go to help people with rehab and addictions and stuff like that. My problem with that is, Man, the government always says that. They always say that the money's going to help something, and 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 yet, we never seem to have enough money to help. And so I I don't understand. I you know I I don't know who's going to hold government accountable to make sure all that money actually goes to where right. it's going to go or do. Um, here's what I would say: at some point in the future, you know, marijuana is going to become legal because our culture's views of marijuana have changed. Whether you like it or not, uh, I don't smoke weed. I am not in favor of smoking weed. I would encourage you. Um, I'm looking at you, Justin. I don't know why. I would encourage you and our listeners not to smoke weed. I think it's a really, really bad thing, and I've watched it destroy my friends' lives. Now, having said that, you know, if you got cancer, you got glaucoma, you have a real disease, okay? Not like 
you're stressed out for your math test. Okay, I'm not talking <laughs> about you guys. You have to smoke dope to get through basic math in college. Algebraitis. Algebraitis. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not like a real disease. But like you have real diseases. Like for example, uh, my uncle Wayne died of cancer about ten years ago. The last three months of his life, uh, he lived with me a couple times. He smoked marijuana in my backyard. I didn't let him smoke it in the house. He smoked in the backyard. Uh, because of chemotherapy, he lost his appetite. And Kaiser, his doctor at Kaiser, okay, like a real doctor, said, mm -hmm. I suggest that you smoke marijuana to help with your appetite and to help you sleep at night. And so he asked me for permission. And I said, yeah, I think, I think any legitimate use of medicine is, is fine. I'm all for helping people. And I think Jesus Christ would be for that. He certainly wouldn't be for you not being able to handle the stress and reality of life and choosing marijuana as opposing the peace that comes from Christ. And so that's the challenge. I feel like I'm talking all over the place. Uh, I have no idea how I'm going to vote on that. Um, you know, I, I just would can just encourage you to pray about it, um, you know, and, and vote your conscience on the issue. Um, it, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult issue. I, I've seen multiple people smoking joints on my way to church in their car, and that irks me because it's not safe. So um, I don't know. I have to process through that. And mm -hmm. um, what was his question, though? His last, the last part of his question? Oh, it was just, I'm not interested in smoking weed, but should I consider the hold that it may have on other people when I vote? Yeah, to, no, absolutely. It? I would consider that. It does have a hold on people. And so people who say that marijuana is not addictive are not honest. It is addictive. It's not as addictive as maybe nicotine or heroin or, you know, some, some other drug, but... To say that it, it's not addictive, I mean, I have friends that smoke weed. They say, I could quit whenever I want. I just don't want to. I'm all, that's addiction. <laughs> that's what it does is it, it creates a desire in your brain to check out from life. And um, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of weed. Um, I, you know, like I said, I don't smoke it. I think it's destructive. I think Christians should not smoke it um, unless you are medically prescribed uh, to smoke it by a real doctor. Let me just emphasize that by a real doctor. Um, and... Uh, and, and when that's the case, I, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's a good thing. So. All right, so let's talk about the death penalty, right? Matters of life and death are obviously important to um, Jesus and God. And so we've got two related propositions here in California. Prop 62 is a move to repeal the death penalty in the state of California. And then Proposition 66 is a move to kind of speed up the process uh, of those who are placed on the death penalty. Man, how should Christians view and approach the death penalty in general? Yeah, so it, uh, this, is a, you know, this is a political landmine to step in because you have Christians that are passionate on both sides. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, on the one side, people say, well, the Bible says that if you take someone's life, your life is required of you. And then you have Christians who say that Jesus Christ would, um, you know, has changed that and we are to never repay evil for evil and, you know, that killing is wrong. And so we should never do that. And so I, I think it's a real conflicting issue. And again, you know, I'm probably going to be the most offensive on this issue as opposed to any other issue. But here's, here's my position on it, is I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that government has a responsibility to assure to the best of their ability that a person is in fact guilty. And if it is a premeditated crime, that the Bible is clear that a person can be put to death by government. And that is a God-ordained right and actually... Uh, something that God requires of government to be able to do that. Now, some people are personally opposed to the death penalty, and I understand that, and I appreciate um, your heart on the matter. Here's where I would challenge your thinking if you are anti-death penalty, and I have good friends that are very, very anti-death penalty, is my question would be, and, 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 and here again, I, I believe we live in a diverse society, and I think that's a good thing, and we need to value diversity, is why do you, as a citizen, have the right to tell 
victims of a crime that they cannot enact the death penalty on the person that has perpetuated um, the crime against their family member. So, for example, if my wife in a horrific murder was raped and killed, why does someone who does not know me, who has not experienced my pain, have the right in government to tell me that I cannot require the life of the person that committed my crime? And I think historically, healthy nations understand that it is government's job to ensure justice to the best of their ability. Um, and I think government has that right. However, I am for a government system that if, let's say, my wife was killed, and sorry, Tammy, I love you, or one of my kids, tragically, I also think that the judge could take into consideration if I, as a citizen, am opposed to the death penalty. And I say I'm opposed to the death penalty, and I do not want this person who's committed this crime. I think that the judge should be able to take that into consideration. I don't think it's right for people who have not been the victims of the crime to legislate and state that you cannot require the life of the person who is taken. I just don't I just don't feel that people have that authority. And I think it's a dangerous thing. And I think it will lead to vigilantism. If I can't trust that the government is going to enact real punishment for the crimes against me, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see people lashing out and revenge and doing revenge crimes. I think you're going to see more and more of that because they don't trust the government to do that. And the other question is, what do you do with people who are, you know, they get life in prison. Okay, what do you do with them when they repeatedly kill people in prison? Mm. What, what do you do with that person? Because they know, if they know there's no other crime, one of the things that you're going to see is you're going to see a spike in crimes, murders for those who uh, spend a lifetime in prison. I think it's a nightmare for prison guards to have to manage criminals who are in proximity to each other, who are already dangerous, who have already committed murders, if they know that nothing else can happen to them, I think that's a real, real dangerous situation for our uh, our uh, police officers and our prison guards who have to work and keep those people from killing each other every day because that's their job. I mean, some people get sentenced to prison because of crimes <laughs> and other people get paid to go to prison because they're prison guards. And, yeah. and we need to remember that, that um, it, it is, it's, you know, they say, is it a deterrent or not a deterrent? And, and I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to the heart of every single individual, but um, I, I would think that hopefully that's somewhat of a deterrent, especially if you're in jail for life already, that you know if you continue to kill, that there's a chance that you could not get another life sentence. Because how do you, what do you do to a guy who already has 600 years in prison? Mm -hmm. uh, 605 years? I mean, I don't know that that's helpful to uh, him or her. And so, and again, Christians are passionate on both sides. And again, I think it's fine for you to have your passions. And people say, well, Jesus Christ will never do that. Okay, but he submitted his life to death on a cross. He lived submission to the death penalty. He did. If And if he didn't, none of us are here. So, um, you know, the Old Testament says that God has uh, given government the rights to, to enforce that. Jesus submitted to Rome's right to do that, even when they got it wrong and he was innocent. So, um, and I, I'm not saying that I want to see innocent people uh, murdered or whatever. That's just my stance on it, is that I, I don't believe that I have the right to tell a family that they cannot demand the death penalty for someone who has murdered their family member or their friend. I, I don't have that right. I do think that I should have the right to say, I, I don't believe in it and I don't want to see that happen. But I just, I don't think in our society we think enough about victims. I think we think too much about criminals. And I think victims should have a whole lot more say in the process because the government's responsibility is to bring justice to the victims. That's that's their role in the process. Uh, and to make sure and maintain that there's a fair trial for, the, for those who've been um, 
uh, not convicted of a crime, but accused of a crime. And so Mm -hmm. we need to push for both. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. We need to make sure we don't have the wrong people on death row. And we need to make sure that that's a possibility for people who want that from their government um, if if they have been wronged. Um, so, and again, Is Paul's I probably, teaching in Romans 13 probably the primary place that you would you would go to for some of this Yeah, I mean, pa- Paul says that in Romans 13 that, that it is government's responsibility to enact punishment on those who have committed crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he believes that it is a divine right given by God. And so, um, and again, I mean, he, here's what, here's, let me summarize the Bible. You don't have the right to kill people yourself. There must be a, a trial. Um, that's why they have the cities of refuge in Numbers the last chapter of Numbers, I think it's Numbers 34, 32 through 34, cities of refuge. So you go to the cities of refuge until the community can decide whether in fact you're guilty or not. And then the community enacts the punishment. Because why? Vigilantism gets it wrong most of the time. It's emotional, it's passionate, and you can kill the wrong person on an accident. So there needs to be some kind of trial. Um, the Bible says there can't just be one eyewitness. There has to be you know, multiple eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. People have to see you. So you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that you, in fact, committed this crime. And so, again, you know, I, I hope that if you're against the death penalty, you can still come to Sandals Church, and we can agree to disagree, and that's fine. Um, you know, it's not one of my most passing issues, but it is it is on the ballot. And, and again, I would encourage you, as a voter, don't just think about yourself. Don't just think about your views. Put yourself in the position of victims, and do they or do they not have the right to demand um, that and and if you decide no, then, then then you know vote to do away with it. You know, you know the death penalty certainly is an ugly thing and the result of living in a sinful society. But the Bible seems to indicate that it's a necessary practice of government. Okay, so the propositions on marijuana and the death penalty are three of seventeen propositions on the California ballot this year. I looked through all of them, and if I'm honest, a lot of those seem like decisions that I'm neither interested or qualified in making. How should we approach? a ballot that has 17 propositions on things that a lot of us don't understand. Yeah. So let me say this. I'm not a big fan of propositions. I do not like propositions. And here's why. I think our legislators don't do their job and they don't govern and they should be, and they should be held accountable for that. Propositions um, are written usually in such a way to confuse us. That's why they're written. I mean, there's whole think tanks that write these things to get us to think one way and it turns out another thing. It just frustrates me. And you said there were how many? 17. 17. That's ridiculous. That's another thing they do. What they do is they put forth multiple propositions to take away the attention from one or two that they want to get passed. So there's a whole subculture of political agenda here that's very, very dangerous, and it's frustrating to me um, that that they do this. However, there are people that love propositions, and they believe that propositions are used to hold government in check um, and to, you know, uh, overthrow, um, you know, a representative government that doesn't represent the people, mm-hmm. um, and so you see this. So I'm just not I'm I'm just not a big fan of the process. So don't lose your shorts, and you know let, you hopefully your mind isn't exploding. But what I would say is do the best you can. You have, you have a website that you yeah. Want my to... favorite website that I found to help really understand what all the different propositions are here in the state of California is uh, www.ballot.fyi. Breaks down each proposition pretty nonpartisan, I think, mm-hmm. and it's. Did a pretty good job. It uses emojis in the description, so that's how you can tell they're doing a good job. Jives with us, exactly. Yeah. A good job trying and, to help. And that's us why um, Tammy and I we don't vote at the booth; we vote at home because I need time. Yeah. I mean, I, I need time to process and figure out. Okay, what what on earth do I think about each specific issue? And I do the best I can. My wife and I talk about it, uh, and it's very very difficult. And uh, and again, here's here's why I don't like propositions is because when I vote yes or no on a proposition, if I'm 
if I'm truthful, this is what I'm saying. I ho- I hope I'm voting the right way. I mm-hmm. I, I literally, mm-hmm. you know, some of them are you know slam dunk crystal clear, but a lot of them are really really confusing, and um, and I think it's it screws us up. Mm-hmm. So uh, and we don't know what are the consequences. You know, when you throw this rock in the pool, what are the ripples as it hits this entirely massive state? And that's something that's really, really difficult. So, yeah. So, the, my process for voting on all these things the last couple of years has been I mean, I still go to the booth mostly because I want my sticker. So, I get my yeah. little sticker on election day. <laughs> I thought you casted lots. I thought that's what you did. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just... No, but I have been, my, I mean, Lindy and I, we sit down together and we have these conversations. And then I just write myself a little cheat sheet on my phone that I bring in with me so that when I'm going through the, the booth, I know exactly which ones I'm voting on, which ones I'm skipping. Um, because you want a sticker. Yeah, I want. I mean, he does it all for the sticker. Terrifying. I've been getting stickers for a good performance ever since the kindergarten. Man, how can you uh, the kindergarten? The, well, yeah. <laughs> how can you wipe that out of my system? It's I'm, I'm Pavlovianly programmed because you're almost forty, maybe. Holy smokes! Wow. Nobody has nobody has ever Shots said that phrase fired. to me in my life. <laughs> yeah. and, and that maybe is so it's time painful. to grow up and not get a sticker. Wow! Do you get a sticker when you go to the dentist? Um, that would require going to the dentist. Oh, ooh! Mm. I think I did that when I was eighteen. But I'm not. You don't go to the dentist. Listen, we're talking about real big deal issues. This yeah, is a real big deal. A big deal issue I am right in proximity now. to your breath on a regular basis. I want to know that those choppers are clean. I believe I'm 34 years old, and I'm pretty sure the last time I went to the dentist was on my 18th birthday. Okay, we have dentists in our church, and right now they are literally they are having cringing. Heart You're going to get my some boys. Notes. My sons yeah. love going to the dentist. Yeah. I'm sorry. So guys. we have people leaving wow. the church because of my views, and now we have people leaving the church because you don't mm-hmm. go to the dentist. You're anti dentite. Yeah, anti <laughs> Okay, the dentist, so we're sorry. We have got one. Uh, we got we got some uh, final thought questions here. This is this is just a great question from Chris. He, he says, um, "I haven't been the least bit interested in watching the presidential candidate debates." and find myself avoiding news coverage of this whole election season. I've justified checking out because I find both front-running candidates to be lacking in major areas so much that this election almost feels like a joke. What can we do to remain invested, showing respect for the fact that we have the opportunity to vote, and then also really focused on God's call and mission for us as Christians? Yeah, here's what I would say is get involved earlier in the process because we need to hold ourselves responsible for the candidates we have. That's Mm -hmm. who we need to hold responsible we need to look at ourselves and say, okay, how can I help change this process? Now, having said that, regardless of who's elected, whether it's Hillary um, or um, Trump, and I, and I believe that those are the only two candidates that have a shot, so I'm not trying to alienate anybody else's candidate. Regardless of who is elected, I'm going to pray for their success. I'm going to pray for their, their blessing on, on their lives and on our country because we need them to govern well. Whether mm-hmm. I agree with them or not, we need to govern them well. It's not the end. I don't care what anybody says. If you're a Democrat, Donald Trump being elected is not the end. That's why we have elections. We'll have another election in two years and another election after that four years. The founding fathers were wise. The president is not that powerful. Not that powerful. And that's why people talk about gridlock. That's one of the intentions of the founding fathers was to slow down the movement of government so that we're not too reactionary. That's why senators are elected every six years and congressmen every two years, so that it slows down and mediates the change and the political swings of the emotions of people. Um, so in two years, we'll probably see a radical change. Um, just like when you saw Obama elected in 08, you saw the Republicans take change. over the House and the Senate two years later. So it was, right, there was a huge swing there, and, and that's intentional, and that's okay. So um, God's in charge, God's in control, no matter who is elected, um, we're going to, uh, I don't want to say we're going to be okay, because sometimes Christians are not okay, but I want to say this, God's in control, 
And uh, no matter what happens to our lives, we know he owns our souls, and we can take confidence in that. And Christians have suffered far worse. Neither of these candidates is Nero, okay? Neither of them are going to burn Christians at the stake and feed them to lions. The church endured that. We can endure this, and we need to um, continue to trust God in this process. Our faith and hope is in him, not in government. And even on the best day, government's going to be broken. So, um, yeah, I love you all. I wish I had more advice and direction uh, to give on this subject. And I know some of you are convinced and supportive of one candidate or the other, and I'm, I'm glad for you that you've reached that level of conviction. I do not share that level of conviction. And so uh, my heart my, and my thoughts and my prayers are with you as you go into the voting booth. And, and no matter, know this, no matter what you vote for, I love you. And I pray that uh, it reflects who you believe, your vote reflects who you believe Christ has called you to be. And I pray for special discernment and wisdom as you go into the voting booth, because our future depends partly on your decision. So can I ask one last question? No, we're done. Are you sure? Come on, no, this is a good one. <laughs> I think a lot of churches talk about these things, these issues on the weekends, during their services, those kinds of things. We, uh, I mean, you've, you've mentioned the candidates in your sermons because it's what's going on kind of culturally, but we haven't really talked about a lot of these issues on the, on the weekends and during your sermons. Is there, I don't know. Yeah, why? no, it's absolutely intentional. I think that uh, preachers being political from the pulpit is a very, very dangerous thing, and they should not do it. Again, if you're a Democrat and you come to Sounds Church, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, we're not going to agree on, on some issues. That's fine. I want you to be a part of the church. I want you to become real with yourself, real with God, and real with us. And I want you to exist in small group and become everything Jesus has called you to be. And the same thing goes for Republicans. I'm not going to agree with, you know, everything that you believe and everything that you stand for, and that's fine. My job is to help transform you into the person Christ has called you to be. And the political agenda is a separate agenda. It is just a separate agenda. I encourage you to participate, be a part, but I don't want to offend people because of my political stance on Sundays or on Saturdays when you hear the message. I don't mind offending them based upon biblical issues. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But I don't want to cross the line into political issues. And, um, um, you know, I've, I've preached some political sermons in the past, and I regret them. I regret every single one, even if I was right. I, you know, I, I regret it because our job is to lead people to Christ, not people to a political party. That's our job. And, you know, there are some churches that disagree with me, and that's why, you know, they're probably not growing and leading people to Christ because both Democrats and Republicans and independents need Jesus. And uh, that's just why. That's my personal preference, and um, I'm a senior pastor. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Well, hey, everybody. We... Uh are glad you showed up for this one. Mm -hmm. uh, Pastor Matt, thanks for being honest. Yeah, I know I that was know. a little that nervous. Was, I didn't feel like it was super offensive. I'm sure we offended a couple people. but Oh, I'm... We can try harder next time. <laughs> I just was... We'll, we'll, I'll keep you posted on the <laughs> Facebook and email responses. I'm pretty sure we offended quite a bit of people. So, okay. that's, you know, well, I guess well done or well not done. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. We will we'll see. Good job. We're glad, we're glad for that. And listen, we, we love you guys. Uh, thank you for listening so much, uh, especially if you made it all the way through here. Um, that shows, I think that you got a pretty good uh, intentionality about you. So that's pretty awesome. And if this was at all helpful, please share this episode of the show with your friends. And uh, we hope that it could be encouraging and helpful for them as they think about preparing to step into the ballot box and or sit down and vote at home. If I don't think you're supposed to get in the ballot right. box. You get in the voting booth. Yeah, can the I see one thing we before we close? Ooh, that's right. Yes. Uh, can we vote on Stephanie and I? Uh, I approve. Me too. Okay. okay. Yeah. Please don't come up to me and debate me after the weekend services about mm. something I said. I mean, literally, I will walk away from you. I'm just not <laughs> interested in arguing with you one way or the other. I love you. I love Jesus. I'm trying to live my life in this broken world with a broken political process. Sorry. 
Yeah. I just, I just, I just, I, I love you guys. You know, if you want to hug, hug me. If you want to debate me, don't. Got it. We'll, we'll post a photo of producer Kelly and you can find him at the weekends at Sandal <laughs> Church Hunter Park if you want to debate these issues and argue yeah. with them. He, he really is, likes vegetables, <laughs> rotten vegetables being thrown at him. He's glad to he receive all of your thoughts. Thank you for that, producer Kelly. All right, guys, you can find uh, the show notes and everything on that. Oh yeah, Team no, Fist Bump to, to go up. There you go. Find everything at debrief.show slash election 16 and uh, share that with your friends. Debrief.show slash election 16. We'll see you back here next week for a regular episode.